Yes, hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome along. Tradies News in a nutshell for your Thursday morning. It's the 4th of January, 2024. Daniel Pettigrew back in the chair right across Australia once again for the next hour. Good to be with you. Paul Dennett is back with me. We'll get to him in just a second. Lots to talk about. Cricket, tennis, rugby league in the news yesterday as well. We'll get to all of that over the course of the next hour before the breakfast shows. As per usual, want to hear from you. Great text yesterday. Hoping for more of the same today. one 300 open line number. You can text one of two numbers, 0457 736 736 or the temper text line 0433 We'll get to the tennis. Alex Demonor. Very good win over Novak Djokovic. We'll get to that shortly. Rugby league, Jerome Luai headed to the West Tigers in 2025. We'll talk about that. But let's get stuck into the cricket after day one of the Sydney Tests. Now on Tradies News, let's get the latest in cricket. And in studio with me once again, setting the alarm nice and early, Paul Dennett, morning. Morning, Daniel. How are you going? Very, very well. How are you? Great. Uh, yeah, it was, um, for those of us who love test cricket, sometimes you have to admit it can be dull. Mm. Um, it's a format that was invented in the 1800s. It probably should have been put to bed then. But when it works like it did yesterday, um, you do get seven hours of um, fantastic entertainment. So I'm on a bit of a high this morning. Yeah, it was really entertaining. And look, we're happy to hear, I think, what, 34,000 there yesterday at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Anyone that went would love to hear from you. one 300 one 1170 457 Seven three six seven three six, or just watching it. Of course, temper text line oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Um, I don't know really where to start with this because I, I was on my way home from work. I was listening to a bit of it here on SCN, and then I switched it on, and Pakistan were three down, four down, and you thought, oh, this could be worrying for them. Let's just talk about that first session before we get to what they did at the end of the day and what we saw at the end of the day. When you were watching it as well, were you a little, like obviously good bowling by Australia and we'll talk about Pat coming shortly, but were you a little worried about how that te- how this test match was going to unfold if Pakistan were rolled pretty easily? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of the crowd did turn up, I think, hoping to see David Warner bat. Yeah. And the, some of them would have been disappointed when Pakistan won the toss and batted. When Pakistan then lost their first two wickets in almost no time, there was a feeling, oh, we are going to get to see David Warner bat um, sooner rather than later. Well, as it turned out, they did see David Warner bat, but only for, for one over because after that start, and um, I think that the ball that Hazelwood bowled to Same Ayub, who was on debut, um, mm. he's a very good player by all accounts, and it was just an unplayable ball. I felt very sorry for him. That's the lot of an opening batter sometimes. Um, they then had a little bit of a, a partnership, and I, I just think that Pat Cummins in the middle of the day showed what a champion he is. The ball that he got um, Babarazam out with was um, a, a vicious sort of inducker that struck him out in, in front. It looked like it was going down leg side, but it was a great review. And, you know, he is their out-and-out class player, and he looked like he was about to take the game away. And I think that was a, a key moment in the day. Mm. And... I then very much expected that they probably would fold. Mm. Uh, and then totally they confounded expectations, not mu- not once, but twice. Firstly, with Mohamed Rizwan, who's um, uh, a player of some calibre, so that wasn't so much of a surprise. But then um, uh, Amir Jamal at the end, um, scoring 82 uh, at almost a run of ball with great bravery, smashing the ball to all parts. Um, totally unexpected, high, high entertainment all, all afternoon. 
Yeah, it was really, really entertaining. Um, that third session, so Pakistan, we know what was going on, and I want to talk about Michael Vaughan's comments surrounding Pat Cummins shortly about the fact that he might be as good or the next best after Don Bradman in terms of Australian cricketers. We'll get to all of that, but that final session, um, firstly, I want to ask you, Reed Dave Warner, do you think there was a bit of him? And look, he did a fantastic job. We'll talk about that final over in a second. Do you think there was a tiny bit of him when it got later and later and later? Obviously, he wanted Pakistan to get all out and obviously he wanted to get into bat. But he would have surely, considering the occasion as well, would have been getting a little bit more nervous. And probably when it got to about 5.30 Sydney time, it was like, hmm, maybe it would be best if they could just bat for another 20 minutes. Oh, I think... If he's any like anything like a normal opening batter, <laughs> not a tiny bit of him, a hundred percent of him yes. would have been like that. Um, certainly from my days in park cricket, that's how I would have been feeling. Um, mm. uh, but uh, look, Warner's such a confident guy. Um, you know, maybe he's the sort that could, could confound those expectations because when he then, he, I mean, he had the opportunity of actually sending in a night watchman. Nathan Lyon yes, was that padded was weird, up, wasn't and, it? Yeah. Um, it almost seemed like that was. I thought, oh, he's not going to come out here because mm. the Pakistanis looked like they were lining up to do a guard of honor right on the um, uh, the edge of the ground. And then that sort of dissipated. And I thought, oh, they must have got the word that mm. Nathan Lyon's going to open up. And that would have been a, a real anticlimax for the for the crowd. But not only did Warner open up, but then when they um, the, the, the Pakistanis kind of threw a curveball by opening with the off-spinner, Sajid Khan, first ball, every other opening batter in the world, especially playing in their last test match with one over to go, mm. would have um, been very, very cautious. Instead, Warner to a ball that wasn't that short, um, Smeared it through point for four, and that was just uh, classic David Warner. And then off the second last ball of the day, the ball ballooned up over the top of the stump and almost rolled over the bale. Uh, mm. It was about two millimetres shy of, of clean bowling him. So it was a very dramatic final over. He had no idea where that ball was, did he? No one had any idea. For a second, yeah. it looked like the ball had vanished. Yeah. Um, yeah so it was... Um, uh, tremendously exciting. And yeah, I think that um, the I'm so sure that the SCG Trust breathed, breathed a sigh of relief because the gate for today's play, I'm sure, will be significantly higher now that David Warner is not out overnight. Let's talk about Jamal's innings. Firstly, highly entertaining to watch. I know probably from an Australian point of view, maybe you shouldn't say that, but it was so good to watch. And it was very, very important as well because if he had got out cheaply, I know uh, they were at like Rizwan again, 88. He was uh, good at Boxing Day. He was good here again yesterday. But they probably, if he had, Jamal had made 10, 11, they would have been out much cheaply. The way it's now stood is that I think they actually won the day. It didn't look like for a long part of the day that they were going to win the day, but I thought they did. And that innings was highly entertaining to watch. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack about it because yes. um, to begin with, uh, the Australians, when they got Rizwan out, it yeah. was they'd kind of gone to plan B. They'd bowled normal orthodox cricket till then, and then they went with the short ball, put all the fielders back out, and it worked straight away, almost comically um, mm. that he hooked it straight down the throat of um, of Hazelwood on the boundary. And then they kept up with the short ball and it kept on working mm. to the f fury of the old timers. Were like, you know, hit the top of our stump with this short ball barrage is nonsense. And the Pakistan players just kept on getting out to it. And then after nine wickets, suddenly it stopped working. Mm. And instead of getting out to it, Jamal once again mm. showed significant courage. I mean, he got... Uh, plenty of wickets in the first test. He showed great courage in the second test, um, taking a fair few blows on the body. Did the same here, copped a few blows, and then just started uh, playing expansively. And I think that there's a, uh, in addition to him playing wonderfully well and entertainingly, there's a criticism of the Australians that 
the, the short ball barrage stopped working and they kept on trying it. And I think mm. that there was a, there, there, there should have come a point where they said, okay, let's get boring again, hit the top of off stump, and um, it worked with the top order. It will eventually work with the lower order. Mm. Good, good courage as well um, uh, shown by Mia Hamza, who in the previous test match, when he came out to support Jamal, played a, a wafty shot and got out. And I would have been fuming if I was Jamal having gone through all that um, barrage. This time round, seven not out of 43 balls for a number 11 um, against that high-quality pace attack. Very impressive as well. You think about what that could do to this trade. Now, we've seen Tailenders do this before. We saw it with the Ashes earlier yes. in the year, and it worked in our advantage. This time it didn't. Does that affect the confidence levels for the Australian bowlers or do you put it down to, and there's a text here, we'll get to the text shortly, about wasn't great captaincy potentially by Pat Cummins and the same tactic as you mentioned was used on and on and on and it wasn't working. They, in the end, threw the ball to what, Travis Head, and he had a bowl. That, so do, does that affect them or do you just put that down to as a one-off and it probably, it will happen again, but long way down in the future? I hope it does affect them in the sense that, that they realise that there is a there is an issue there. Uh, and Labuschagne got thrown the ball as well. Yes. Um, now they will point out that well the, the barrage worked in Melbourne towards mm. the in the in the, the second innings there they finished things off very quickly, and as I said it all but worked here it got everyone out but one. Mm. Uh, but as you said during the Ashes on more than one occasion um, it, it failed to work and next summer with India coming out uh, there there might be. Op- might be times where it fails to work as well. Mm. And I think it's just as simple as being able to recognise, okay, if, if we've tried it and it hasn't worked, um, let's go back to very much orthodox cricket and do what Ian Chappell would do uh, and say what worked for, to get numbers three, four and five out will work to get numbers 10 and 11 out and take the advice of Shane Warne as well. That you know He used to get very cranky when bowlers would bowl two or three good balls, not get a wicket and then try something different. You know, it's a game of patience. Um, it's a game that lasts for 32 and a half hours. It's okay to, um, to to take things slowly from time to time. We are expecting a shower or two in Sydney today, but nothing too bad, top of 29 degrees. So Australia none for six. David Warner there obviously on uh, six. Usman Khawaja hasn't faced a ball. What do we expect this morning? Because you mentioned Dave Warner came out and he first ball hit it for four. And a lot of other players... A, probably may not have even come out because you mentioned we saw Nathan Lyon as a night uh, night watchman. He didn't come out. Warner came out. He took strike. A lot probably wouldn't have taken strike. And then he hit the first ball for four, almost got out on the fifth ball. There would be nerves there. There would have been nerves there last night. There'll be nerves there this morning. What do we expect, especially from this opening session today? It's going to be very interesting because if you look f- forward to when David Warner's not there and if they do replace him, let's say they go with Cameron Bancroft, for example, mm. and we then have two um, very solid players in Cameron Bancroft and Usman Khawaja opening innings, it, it'll have a very different look and feel because if Warner gets away um, uh, this morning, mm. he could rapidly take the game away from, from Pakistan. It's, a, it's one of those cliche targets that you just don't know what the, the pitch is like until both sides have batted on it. They were talking a lot yesterday how the first inning scores in Sydney have been quite large. But over the years, I can remember even the famous Steve Waugh century from 20 years ago, um, Australia actually lost that test match, even though they en- ended up leading on the first innings because a classic pitch like that, the old SCG, it deteriorated enough such that it was very difficult to bat on in the fourth innings. Mm. That could be a problem for Australia. They're, both sides have got some left arm quicks that'll get some foot, foot marks really roughed up. The spinners will come into play. Pakistan have got two pretty decent ones. So... Um, yeah, I think it's all to play for. I, I noticed that um, Pakistan are only given a, um, I think it's a, 
a 12% chance at the moment. I don't think that's accurate. I'd give them, I think I'd still rather be in Australia's position with Australia's team. Mm. I give Pakistan more than a 12% chance that, 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 that the, the bookies do. What did you make of Michael Vaughan's comments? So firstly, Pat Cummins, first Australian bowler in more than five years to take three consecutive five-wicket hauls on the opening day of an SCG test. Before we get to Michael Vaughan's comments, and I will get your thoughts on them, He's been outstanding this summer, Pat Cummins, and he has been for quite some time now. Yeah, I mean the 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 um, the brilliance of his fast bowling has never been in question. But what seems to have happened this summer is whenever um, uh, I think it was was it Kerry O'Keefe's line that Pat Cummins' best weapon as a captain is Pat Cummins. <laughs> but he's kind of <laughs> he's always got himself to call upon whenever mm. um, whenever needed. And mm. as I said, the Rizwan dismissal um, it worked so quickly. I think it worked the first ball that they went with the short ball barrage, and it was, it was as if he, he was saying, "Okay, guys, this is how you do it." Mm. Um, so. Um, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Pat Cummins. I'm delighted that his uh, captaincy is is being so successful. The only criticism I've ever had of him is that he, he pushes the field back a little bit too bit too much and goes with the the short ball barrage a little bit too quickly, as we talked about. Um, but um, yeah, I mean. Interesting comments from Michael Vaughan. Yeah, so he said, uh, Vaughan said, I saw a bit of DK Lilly, but I think Pat Cummins is better than him. I don't think he is ever going to surpass Sir Don, but I think Pat Cummins is going to be Australia's greatest cricketer after Sir Don. He said, I honestly think he is that good. His bowling, his captaincy, his numbers, he has five to seven years left to play. I honestly think that he is that good that we will be talking about him in a few years as being just behind Sir Don Bradman as the greatest Australian cricketer. That is a big comment from Michael Vaughan. When you consider how many great Australian cricket players we have had, we do still currently have as well. When you make of those comments from Michael Vaughan, do you think Pat Cummins can get that to, to that level where he is just part, just behind Donald Bradman as the second greatest cricketer Australia has ever seen? Um, well, uh, as a as a massive Bradman fan, I'd always like to to stress that the gap's not just behind. He's going to be a long way long behind. Way <laughs> <laughs> Defending someone who retired fifty years before I can remember. Um, but um, you know, I, I think that someone like again to go back to the old days, someone like Keith Miller, um, who was the 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 war pilot and the the, the good looking man and did everything. Um, he had a very similar bowling record to Pat Cummins, but he also had a batting average not shy of Mark War. So mm. I think that it's going to be hard for him to knock off Keith Miller's uh, position in terms of the, the aficionados like me who look up the stats and uh, sure, I shouldn't call myself an aficionado, the nerds like me who look up the stats and, no, you're an aficionado. and look at it that yeah. way. But uh, in terms of the impact that he's going to have, um, then yeah, look, if he was to be captain for five years and if Australia to, were, were to go on a, a run of great success, then I, I, I could see him... Um, certainly being in that group and it's kind of there's such a large group and you can kind of pick your favorites you could say it's Steve Smith you could say it's Keith Miller Adam Gilchrist Shane Warne mm. um Greg Chappell the list goes on and on um and I think that the that that captaincy side of thing a bit like Alan Border can add add something to him Alan Border's credited rightly with restoring Australian cricket from uh, the horrible times of the mid-1980s got the Alan Border medal named after him as a consequence and he's right up there as well in addition to being a great batter um, so it's going to be interesting to see I think you know Vaughan's a, he's a great person for a headline um, and um, you know I'm not going to 
I'm not going to argue with it because I'm a big fan of Pat Cummins. Interested to hear from our listeners this morning. one 736 or the temper text line 433 As part of our Makita Power Play this morning, the Makita XGT Experience Professional Cordless Power Without Limits. What do you make of Michael Vaughan's comments? Is Pat Cummins in line to be the second best Australian cricketer ever? If not, who is? I mean, I think, and I saw a tweet from someone yesterday saying, well, he has Michael Vaughan forgotten about Shane Warne? And you just mentioned Shane Warne as well. But there's a lot in that mix where you can talk about top five cricket players of all time in Australia. So what do you make of Michael Vaughan's comments? And if you disagree, happy to hear from you and happy to tell for you to tell us who you think could be the second greatest Australian cricketer if we all agree that Dodd Bradman is the greatest cricketer in Australia of all time. You may not uh, agree, and you can tell Paul that. 0457 <laughs> 736 736, temper text line 0433 from the Makita XGT, the professional choice for cordless convenience, unmatched performance, innovation, and power without limits. A stack of texts there. We'll get to them after the break. We'll also talk a bit of rugby league as well, and we want to talk about the future of test cricket, both Pat Cummins, who we were just talking about, and Steve War have come out with some interesting topics over the uh, interesting comments over the past 48, 72 hours about the future of Test cricket. So we'll do all of that next. You're listening to Tradies News in a nutshell. It's Thursday morning, right across. Have your company uh, Thursday morning, 0457 736 736, temper text line 0433 You can call the open line 1300 01 1170. Tomorrow morning, Charlie Goodsir in the chair. From next week, everything back to sort of normal. Matty Cox, uh, NFL of course, on Monday morning, the Matty Cox for listeners outside of New South Wales and Queensland. And I'll be back on Tuesday morning for listeners in New South Wales and Queensland. And you can listen to anyone wherever you like on the app. Paul Dennett in the studio with me. Uh, we'll get back to cricket in just a second. But this text here from the Big G on the text line. Morning, Dan. I'm back from my seven-day hiatus. Hope you had a good new year. I did. Hope you did too. As much as I'm disappointed about the news of Jerome signing with the Tigers, this is Jerome Luai, I wish him and his family all the best. Hopefully, we can send him on his way with another premiership. A ends the text saying the salary cap sucks. Tongue and cheek. Cheers. The Big G, who's a very, very big Panthers fan. Yes. So for those, especially outside of New South Wales and Queensland, who are unaware of this, Jerome Luai held a press conference yesterday. Uh, to announce that he'll be off to the West Tigers in 2025, basically almost earning $6 million over five years, $1.2 million a year. Uh, only Kalen Ponga and Cam Munster, Kalen from, uh, Ponga from the Knights, Cam Munster from the Melbourne Storm, are set to earn more. Uh, he says he idolises Benji Marshall. What I found interesting about the whole thing was the fact that he held the press conference. Uh, Penrith were largely unaware of it up until... Uh, later on yesterday morning and the press conference was done at uh, just after midday. Um, the Bulldogs, which is the other club that he was interested in going to, weren't aware of it as well. It was a unique way, I thought, uh, Paul, to announce a signing. Um, uh, good on him for owning it. It's going to be an interesting 12 months of him, firstly, to finish off at the Panthers and then to see what he can do at the West Tigers from 2025 onwards. Yeah, I mean... Things have changed a lot, haven't they, over the years? That in the old days, in the I think the kangaroo tours of old, you try to get an interview with a player and they'd say, no, you've got to speak to the manager. That <laughs> yes. wouldn't say a thing. Um, I suppose, yeah. Um, I, I kind of like this this modern era of the, of the players um, being up there and being willing to put themselves out there. I suppose it's a little disappointing, maybe if the Panthers weren't aware of it. Maybe mm. that's um, not the greatest side of things. But look, I think everyone feels the same way, that you'd have to take the money. Um, mm. Age 26, um, 
what's the life expectancy of a rugby league player once you're into your late 20s, early 30s with all of the injuries that come around, um, you've got to do what's right for you and your family. So it, it is a, a unique situation compared to most sports where he's going to play for an entire year um, for a club that next year he's not going to be at. But I, I think that – I know rugby league fans don't like it, but I think we've started to get used to it. Yes. Yeah, and, and we talk – I've spoken to Matty Cox a lot about this, about the fact that you can get someone signing 18 months in advance – uh, this is not the case. This is, what, 12 months, but 18 months, almost 18 months in advance for a new club. But I think – and every sport now, NRL, AFL, cricket, it's all business as well. Like everyone loves watching it. Everyone who plays it loves playing it. But it is strictly a business, and you're only playing sport – in terms of rugby league, you're only playing top professional rugby league until you're 32, 33, 34. A couple of players have gone a bit later than that. So I, I don't, I can't blame him at all for taking the money. And he said it was the toughest decision of his life. And I suppose it would be hard to leave a club that has been so successful. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see this year. The Panthers, we've seen over the past few years, players have been leaving. Stephen Crichton was an example. Off to the Bulldogs. We're playing for the Bulldogs in a couple of months. Leaves on a high. So I think that's going to be interesting to see if Penrith can maintain um, how they have been for the past three years to send Jerome Luai off as a winner as well. Yeah, it is one of the the, the quirks of a salary cap that the most successful mm. clubs then almost have to be, uh, to maintain the success, have to either convince players to, to take less money or continue to be a breeding ground for, for new players. And, you know, Melbourne Storm have, over the years, kept on finding ways to, to be near the top of the competition. Um, I sort of suspect that Penrith will as well. Mm, and Tigers fans, happy to hear from you this morning as well. Obviously, anyone listening in Melbourne uh, and interstate, happy to hear from you as well if you are a Tigers fan. But especially New South Wales and Queensland, one 1170 0457 736 736 or the temper text line 0433 98 And you don't actually have to be a Tigers fan either. I'd just be interested to know generally from NRL fans how much of a difference do you think Jerome Loy is going to make to the Tigers? Because we saw Ivan Cleary come out about a month or so ago saying basically that Jerome hasn't really led a team by himself long-term. He has done, obviously, bits and pieces in the World Cup a couple of years ago. He's been part of Penrith when Nathan Cleary's been out, played for New South Wales, of course, but hasn't been the main man yet. He is going to be the main man, one would think, at the Tigers in 2025. So how much of a difference does Jerome Luai make to the West Tigers in 2025? I think he helps them, Paul. How much is probably the big question. Yeah, it's going to be a, a massive challenge um, coming from a, a club where it's just success after success. Uh, the structures are different. You you no longer have necessarily the, the great players alongside you. Uh, it's also going to be interesting to see what Benji Marshall can do. Mm. Um, the... The uh, you know the quintessential coach that is a successful um, ex player often is the sort of not so talented player who had to work um, very very hard for everything because they can then kind of imbue their own players with that. Sometimes the the brilliant players don't necessarily make the best coaches, but then there are exceptions. You've got Steven Gerrard in the um, uh, in English soccer who I didn't think would be very good had great success um, up at, uh, at Rangers in Scotland. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating season this year and then next year when he comes when he comes on board. Yeah, oh four five seven seven three six seven three six or <clears throat> sorry oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen tempered text line uh, or one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. How much difference does Jerome Luai make to the West Tigers? And for listeners through New South Wales and Queensland on breakfast this morning, Shane Richardson will be a special guest at seven thirty six thirty Queensland time. So get those texts in. Here's a text. Uh, we'll get to. 
uh, the future of Test Cricket in a second. But let's get through some of these texts. This one from one of their loyal listeners, Yeovil Treeman. He says, hi, Dan. Welcome to 2024. Talking about the entertainment value of Test Match Cricket, what about South Africa versus India? 23 wickets on day one. That from the Yeovil Treeman. And look, we'll get to the rest of the text in just a sec, but that probably does lead us into the talk about the future of Test Cricket because Pat Cummins over the past 48 hours has said he's a little concerned about the future of Test Cricket. Steve Waugh has said the same thing. And it comes back to something we talked about on the show a couple of months ago now about South Africa not sending their strongest side. Where does the future of Test Cricket lie? Because, again, and it was demonstrated yesterday at the SCG, that innings from Jamal and then the tension when Dave Warner came in. And I know... Obviously, it's because it's his last test match and probably wouldn't be as as tense if it was just a normal test match. But it would, still would have been interesting to see Australia get through that one over. You don't get that in one-day cricket and you don't get that in 2020 cricket, which is why I still think test cricket is the pinnacle, but the money is elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such an interesting topic because... In some ways, the death of Test cricket has been confidently predicted for a hundred years now. Yeah. Every generation, it's kind of oh, this is this is going going out the back door. It does feel as though it is at a crisis point in a way that it's never been before. Yet, as you said, you look at the Sydney Test, um, superb. That 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 Test match overnight, um, mm. where South Africa got bowled out for fifty five. India were, were going along reasonably well. Then they went wicket dot, wicket dot, wicket dot, dot, wicket hmm. dot, wicket, wicket. Um, <laughs> so to be bowled out for um, 153. Mm. And in reply, South Africa, three for 62. So, you know, there, there's, as you say, there are things in test cricket there that you don't get uh, mm. in one day cricket. But that the fact that South Africa have named a squad for New Zealand where no one basically is a known name, um, that they have said we are prioritising the our, our new domestic T20 competition mm. um, because they need to do that in order to keep on paying the bills. Mm. And so, in some ways, they're, they're saying it's a one-off and that we, we've, you know, it's a quirk of the scheduling. We've got no choice, and we're not going to have that happen going forward. But there are just so many examples of it. Even in this Test match in Sydney, Shaheen Sharafridi, um, has the Pakistan leader of their attack, has pulled out. Uh, sort of as a precautionary resting thing uh, because he's um, potentially concerned with some T20 matches coming up. And Waka Yunus and Wazim Akram, the former great bowlers, are absolutely aghast at why he's doing this. But it is the way that, that, that things are going. Steve Waugh's point is we need to pay every player the same amount of money. Whether you pay a te- play a test match for Bangladesh mm. or you pay play for um, India, we've got to pay them the same amount of money. That's kind of difficult to see happening, although I'd like it to happen. The other thing is a window um, or a series of windows, like what they do in soccer, that they have, um, uh, okay, right now it's going to be an international, um, oh, no, it might be more, more of a break, but when they, they, they cut off the Premier League for um, a week or so. Yep, yep. Everyone goes and plays off for their, for their countries, and it mm. kind of works. I could see that working in cricket, but not without problems. I mean, mm. if we're going to have a window, the problem for Australia is we like to have our cake in it. We have our test matches on at the same time as our mm. Big Bash. Mm. If the window was to occur, what, what what would that mean to the Big Bash? You know, if the test match window in Australia was from November, December, and then ended at the Sydney test match, does the Big Bash start after that? Uh, and there are just so many leagues jumping up all around the world. Um, talk of a new a second IPL, talk of a Saudi Arabia league. Where it's all going to fall, I just don't know. But the one thing I'll say is, I don't think the reason that we want to keep on going with test cricket is just because we're nostalgic and uh, yearning for a different era. It's because, as I said yesterday, when it goes well, when it's got a pitch that suits and the players play well, 
you get a level of entertainment that I think is better mm. than the um, than the T20 stuff. If, if if cricket just becomes a series of T20 leagues around the world, I'll still enjoy it, mm. but I'll miss something that feels like it means more. See, and that's a really interesting. A couple of things you said there, Ree. Firstly, the window that we see in the EPL. I, you speak to a lot of uh, English Premier League fans, and we'll ask, well, I'm not on tomorrow, but I'll ask John, John Gallo about this next week uh, when he joins me again, about there's a lot of people who do not like that mm. break, international break, uh, especially like you can watch the English Premier League here and there's fanatic fans over here, but especially if you speak to people in the UK. And even last year when you saw, sorry, 2022, when you saw them take that four or five-week break for the World Cup. Now, that had to be done because the World Cup was in Qatar and we knew it was a d- different time. A lot of people didn't even really like that. They would have preferred to watch, uh, despite how fanatic they are about England over there, they would have preferred to watch their English Premier League sign. Same thing happens when it's this weekend. We've seen, what, 12, 13 days of English Premier League back-to-back. Now it just stops for an international break. And the other thing you mentioned about what would happen if that got implemented, but at the moment we've got Test Match Cricket and the Big Bash going on. I think one of the issues for cricket, and we've had texts about this when you've been here, when you've not been here, is at the moment it almost feels like there's too much cricket on at one time. So maybe taking it, pulling it back a bit would help. But in my opinion, Test Cricket must come first. It's a really good point. And I think it also comes down to the the relevance of, uh, of football that, one of the reasons that people, and I've heard that myself, of mm. people go, oh, it's the international week. I'm so sick of it. I want the Premier League back. It's because every game in the Premier League means something. It's like, you don't have to be an Aston Villa fan, but if you're a fan of any of the top clubs, well, if Villa's playing, I hope they drop some points if I'm not a fan <laughs> of them. Yep. And whether you're a Spurs fan or a Liverpool fan, Arsenal fan, a Manchester City fan or a Manchester United fan, then there's the, all the stuff that's going on at the bottom of the table. Um, every game uh, adds something. And that... that mulling over tables and talking about all who's on top and they've got a game in hand. It's part of the joy of it. And it's one of the things that test cricket has always lacked that it's just a series of bilateral um, uh, series that really don't have any overarching narrative. They're trying to get that in with the world test championship. The problem is um, in the the Premier League, it's so simple. You win, you get three, you draw, you get one test matches. They've got, they have to have it, but they've got this formula that works out if it's a five test match series, each test match is worth less. And you got to, Whenever you put maths into it, everyone says, "Oh, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've lost interest." And it's only top two that matter. There's no kind of relegation or, or whatever else. So, getting some more meaning into some test matches is is significant as well. I think. I also think the general public, just apart from when Australia are playing um, the World Test Championship at, uh, last year. I think they sort of sometimes forget that's even a thing when you're just watching. And because it's a new thing, and maybe in 10, 20, 30 years' time, that'll change. But at the moment, I think it sort of gets forgotten. When we're playing this series against Pakistan, which, look, I think has been highly entertaining, probably more entertaining than people expected. But then you fear what's going to happen against the West Indies in the next couple of weeks as well. When they come out, it might not be as entertaining as the Pakistan series. But every test match means something. And I like that idea. And the other thing that people from outside Australia, England and India say is it's all great when you guys play because you get big crowds and it means something where it really struggles is when it's uh, two non uh, two sides out of those big three playing. If it's, if it's, you know, New Zealand playing Bangladesh and they're kind of almost playing it out of obligation. They squeeze it in. They um, not, not, not picking on those two in particular, but you'll often get a series 
and you look and there's the crowd is it's, it's most heartbreaking in the West Indies because I remember when West Indian grounds were full. Now you'll see a West Indian ground and it looks like a Sheffield Shield crowd. Mm. It'll be often a flat pitch and you think, what's the point? Um, even I would look at that and I, I don't want to watch this. Mm. So they've got to find a way to say, if we're going to have these matches, they can't just be ticking a box. We've got to, um, as Shane Warne used to say, show test cricket the love, make the pitches fast and bouncy, try to find a way to get the crowds in there and um, and try to replicate what you get with the very best test cricket, which, which is when Australia's playing England or when Australia's playing India and it can captivate um, nations. And that is something I mentioned yesterday, at least for the next two summers here in Australia. We've got India, we've got England coming out, so that is good, but that's short term. That's not looking long term. Just before we take a break, what do you think, and we've got a lot of texts on this, but what do you think test cricket looks like in 10 years' time? I have, I, I think whatever the prediction we mm. make now record it and listen back in 10 years' time and laugh. <laughs> yep. Because I just don't – I find it very hard. What I hope it is going to be is that uh, it still exists for a start. Yes. And that it's more than just Australia, England and India. That mm. Pakistan, New Zealand, South Africa – I'd love the West Indies to be given some sort of leg up. I mean, you know, if I'm being a little bit naive, I'd love if India said, hey, when the West Indies are good, cricket is great. Let's really go in there and give them some money and and, and, and really help them get, get things going. But I think we will see windows. I think mm. we'll see windows. I think it will still be around and I think it will still be going pretty well, but it will still be under threat. Yeah, okay. Uh, get those texts in. Interested to hear your thoughts on all of that. 0457 736 736. The temper text line 0433 98 11 16. Or jump on the open line 1300 01 1170. Your thoughts on how maybe we could look at protecting test cricket and what does the future look like for test cricket? Pat Cummins, is he the second or is he going to be the second best Australian player of all time? behind Sir Donald Bradman. That's what uh, Michael Vaughan thinks will happen. And on the rugby league front, Jerome Loy, Panthers fans, how are you feeling? Tigers fans, how are you feeling? Brett, you have sent a text that only half of it's come through, and I really want to read it out. So if you can just send uh, that whole text again, we'd love to be able to read it out surrounding uh, Jerome Luai. Um And Tigers fans and rugby league fans, how much of a difference is Jerome Loy going to make to the West Tigers? Your text and a quick chat on Glenn Maxwell on the other side of this. This is Tradies News in a nutshell right across Australia. The company right across Australia this morning, 0457 736 736, our text number. Temper text line, you can text this one as well, 0433 98 Or as always, you can call the open line, 1300 01 1170. All right, time for all of your texts. Paul Dennett in the studio with me. Let's start with this one uh, from Big Al. He says, gentlemen, uh, Two things that need to be fixed for Test cricket to thrive are overrates need to be improved. And given our harsh climate, we need to have more day-nighters in terms of day-night Test cricket. I asked you about day-night Test cricket last week and about the potential of seeing more. What do you make of the overrates? Because it is very, very slow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ardent cricket fans have almost given up. Mm. We've talked to ourselves blue in the face. Yesterday, they were again, I think, nine overs short despite playing the extra half hour. They would argue that the entertainment was absolutely fantastic, that there's um, DRS reviews, there's concussion protocols. There are lots of things that make the game a lot more um, run more slowly than I think there was a day um, a long time ago, back when they used to get 20, 22 overs in an hour. There's, that's never going to happen again. I sometimes think they should incentivise it the other way. Rather than um, penalising them if they get it short, pay them extra if they get get, get a few more mm. overs in. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that because it is it is hard when you're supposed to bowl 90 overs in a day and you're seeing sometimes 70, 75, 80, sometimes even less than that being bowled. It's 90 overs in a day and that was always meant to be the minimum. But mm. what they do now is they say every time there's a wicket, um, every time there's uh, any stoppage in play, 
and we'll give you the extra half hour. So it ends mm. up being less than that anyway. So um, I think it's just they've either got to take it seriously or, or, or they or they don't. Um, I like what they do in the hundred in England, and they've started to do it in um, other T20s. Is that if you've got um, if you're not at the over rate required when the innings ends, uh, when the innings is meant to end, you've got to bring an extra fielder into the circle. I'd like to see in Test cricket maybe that they could do that session by session. And if you haven't bowled your overs within the session, then you lose a fielder for the last over or something like that. But I don't think they've got the appetite to do that. What about this one from Ash also on the temper text line saying the only thing that could help Test cricket is if they cap it at four days and have a fifth weather day. It would help uh, keep a little more momentum in the game and free up the calendar for international commitments. What do you make of that four-day test cricket, potentially five if there's weather there? It, t- it kind of ties into the overrates as well, that if they mm. could get the extra overs in, maybe that would be okay. Uh, the, the idea of it is like a golf major, that you start on a Thursday, you finish on a Sunday, and with the exception of, say, the Boxing Day test match and the Sydney test where we've got a defined date that it starts – that everyone can then um, book things in. It does make the scheduling easier because you can say Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, and we're out of there for a two-test series and um, or even a three-test series can be done quite quickly. And you avoid that issue of on the Monday, a fifth day, a climactic day, and there's no one there. Um, but I think that, again, that's one, it's an argument that was put forward and has kind of been lost. But I, I, I don't disagree with it. But at the moment, I still prefer five days. Yeah, I, I like five days, but I do see maybe a future where we only have four days. Test cricket. Uh, this one from uh, this text saying, Morning, fellas, it could be worse. So, Yeovil Treatment mentioned this earlier. You could be bowled out for 55. Uh, I've lost 23 wickets in one day and still be 30 runs behind on in the Test match. Okay, thank you for that one. Bondi Jack says, uh, Dan and Paul, um, Pat Cummins' captaincy against Jamal was lame brain absurdity. Attack the top off uh, off stupid. Line horrible off the back off one for 84 of 19 in the second test. That from Bondi Jack. Yeah, I think I would agree with the sentiment. Maybe I wouldn't go as strong as that. Um, but I think that Pat Cummins has done so many things right over these last few weeks and, and months that, um, yeah, he's... He's bound to get the occasional thing slightly wrong. I do think they probably should have switched to a, a top-of-off-stump attack earlier. Stingray says, Dan, solar panel Pat has had a great 12 months, but is nowhere near the top 20 Aussies to wear the baggy green. Stingray. Uh, I mean, it's... Um, <sighs> I think he is. And um, and I just purely on the numbers in terms of fast bowling, I, I, as I said when I was here last time, that I put him, I bracket him alongside Lillian McGrath for the last 50 years. And... And if you're going to go back through the whole history, there's a couple of others that you'd add to that. But in terms of Australian bowling, I think he's certainly in the top six or seven. Um, throw in a six or seven batters and a couple of all-rounders. I think it's hard to make an argument that he's not in the top 20. Now, I've only got a couple of minutes left, but I want to go back to a text from Paul yesterday uh, because we were talking about Glenn Maxwell and he sent a text just after you left about, I know we joke about it, but what is the reason Glenn Maxwell isn't in the test side or what is the argument for leaving him out? What do you make of that? Why does hasn't Glenn Maxwell played more test cricket? Well, the orthodox argument that he's, he's a white ball player and people say, he doesn't play any Sheffield Shield or, or much Sheffield Shield cricket, and his his game wouldn't be suited to Test match cricket because he is, um, you know, he, he's a, an aggressive player. And I, I don't agree with that. I think that you look at his numbers in Test in Sheffield Shield cricket. He averages about thirty nine, which is very similar to Renshaw, Bancroft, and Harris. Um, he's a good bowler. He's a good fielder, and he scores aggressively. And I think that if he had been able to play 
Shield season after Shield season un- uninterrupted, I think he'd be putting together quite impressive numbers. So I think that the arguments that you make as to why Glenn Maxwell couldn't play Test cricket are the exact same arguments that people would have made about David Warner, and he confounded them all. And that's what I was about to say, especially at the moment now we're seeing more aggressive Test match cricket on the back of 2020 leagues. Glenn Maxwell might not be Glenn Maxwell himself, but that type of player will be playing more and more Test cricket, I would have thought, into the future. Well, Warner was the trailblazer. Mm. That he was. Um, he played for Australia in, in T Twenty cricket before he played for New South Wales, and then I think he was talking about he had a, a net session with with Greg Chappell, and Greg Chappell said to him, "You'll be." At Verenda Sawag was saying to him, "You'll be great in Test cricket because you don't have to smash every ball. You can actually mm. defend the um, defend the good balls." Mm. And I think that if a player can smash the ball everywhere with great skill. In some ways, it's easier to build a defence rather than going the other way. And sometimes some of the stodgy players um, who would never really succeed in white ball cricket are limited in test cricket in the modern way that it's played as a result. All right, before I let you go, uh, prediction. How much further does this test go and who wins? Because the way the first day went, it could go five days, it could go three days, four days. Who knows? Uh, I think the safe prediction is that Australia will... um, bat well mm. um, and uh, get a bit of a lead, put Pakistan under pressure and, and chase whatever runs are required down. I am nervous that, as an Australian fan, though. I've seen it happen so many times in Sydney where um, this pitch, if it does start to crack up a little bit, it could be very difficult chasing in the second innings. I've seen, you know, 30 years ago, I think, is exactly when Australia couldn't chase down 102 against South Africa. So uh, I'm going to predict an Australian win, but with a very big asterisk that, that as an Australian fan, I'm a little bit nervous at the moment. All right. Going to be very interesting. Paul, thank you for your help over the past couple of days. For our listeners in New South Wales and Queensland, you'll be back with me in studio next Friday. So looking forward to that. Can't wait, mate. We'll look back at the Pakistan series and look ahead to the West Indies series. That By that point in time, will only be a few days away. Keep those texts coming in. 0457 736 736. The temper text line 04 93 We'll take a break, come back with more of those and wrap up the show. Breakfast not too far away. This is Tradies News in a nutshell right across Australia. Yeah, big thanks to Paul Dennett once again for joining me in the studio. And as I say, for our New South Wales and Queensland listeners, he'll be back with me on Friday morning, next Friday morning. Don't forget, of course, SEN will have full coverage of day two of the Sydney Test. David Warner. Back into bat, not out on six, straight after the breakfast shows across Australia. So tune in to that. Jared Waitley and the team looking forward to that. A sports update for Robot Building Supplies. Robots got it. Alex Dimonor, big win over Novak Djokovic last night. 6-4, 6-4 in the United Cup. A lot of talk about Alex Dimonor and how he may go in this year's Australian Open. Uh, Djokovic was troubled by that wrist complaint, and he said yesterday as well, the more I'm playing, it's getting worse. But still, a lot of momentum for Alex Dimonor heading into the Australian Open. Win over Novak Djokovic, win over Taylor Fritz earlier this week. So we'll see what he can do. Ranked 12th in the world, the Australian Open 10 days away. So well done to Alex Dimonor, and uh, he will add a lot of interest into the Australian Open if he can go deep into uh, the second week. But we'll wait and see uh, what happens there. Text from Brett. He says, morning, Dan. I find the Luai deal so interesting at 1.2 million a year. That is elite money for an elite player. Is he really in that category? I very much doubt it, but time will tell, says Brett. Yep, going to be very interesting at the Tigers next year. And as I say, for this is through New South Wales and Queensland, Shane Richardson, the West Tigers uh, CEO, will be on the line talking to Jimmy Smith and Michael Carianos a bit later on this morning. Charlie Goodsir in the chair tomorrow. Uh, for this is outside of New South Wales and Queensland. Matty Cox back with you on Tuesday morning. For this is in New South Wales and Queensland. I will catch you on Tuesday morning. The news is next and then it's time for breakfast.